Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are going to study the Navi, the Prophet Zechariah, chapter 12. That uh, today, This is Saul Weinreb, the host for the podcast. Uh, we are approaching the end of Zechariah, but we are going to be studying in these next three chapters some very, very powerful, very important and, and, and inspiring ideas, famous ideas. So let's head into chapter 12. Just by way of introduction, I want to remind you that in the last chapter, chapter 11, we learned of two Ro'im. The, we're going to get back to Ro'im, not in today's chapter, but uh, in 13 and 14. And we're going to get back to some of the ideas that we expressed in the last one, chapter 11. Uh, so it's not over, but... but um, we uh, just want to set up the fact that God had set up two roim, two shepherds. There was, he ended with the roa evili, right, or the roa elilim, the roa, the foolish one, or the evil roa shepherd. That God said he, this evil shepherd is going to not tend his flock, not take care of his sheep, not um, do his job as a leader, but rather he is going to um, lead them towards destruction. Uh, he's going to abandon his sheep, and he's going to end up becoming destroyed himself. That is the Roa Ha'elil, the Ozvi Hatzon, the one who abandons his sheep, abandons his flock. And this, as we'll see further developed in today's chapter, is the leaders of those who refuse to humble themselves before God, those who refuse to um, take responsibility for their actions, refuse to join in the ultimate redemption. And instead of joining in the redemption when it comes, they're going to be the ones that lead the fight against it. <coughs> and their end will not be good. The other roe, God asks his, his, his prophet to lead. And then God said that if you, as people, do not take the mantle of leadership and lead the people properly towards redemption, then I'm going to have to do it myself. And God will lead us with the two sticks, with both reward and with punishment, um, reward when we act good and punishment when we don't <coughs> but God would rather have us produce leaders from among ourselves so that we can lead ourselves in the right directions towards redemption and towards God that's where we left off in the last chapter now God starts off with masa again the language of a masa a masa which is generally translated as an announcement of sorts but it also here means a, I've, I've been translating also as a burden, because the ideas expressed here are a burden to whoever it is that it's being spoken to, a burden in the sense of it's a responsibility. It's a yoke. We need to listen to these words, take it to heart, and it creates a collective responsibility among all of the people that are the subjects of this prophecy, which means us, all human beings, um, and this specifically is a burden, Yisrael, is a burden of God towards Israel, towards the Jewish people. Uh, of course, there's a Masaot we saw in Yeshayahu specifically towards all the nations, but also most importantly towards Israel because the people of Israel were the ones that were given this information and given this task of bringing God's presence into this world. Noam Adonai, this is what God says, which God, note the God who stretched out the skies above our heads and established and built the land beneath our feet. And then within that world that he created, he created the spirit of man within it. 
So it's that God. He's the one that speaks. He's the one who is ta- saying the following thing. Hine anochi, behold, I, God, sum es Yerushalayim. I'm going to create Jerusalem as a safra'al. A safra'al is a, you uh, could say like a boiling pot, but ra'al is not so much boiling, but a pot that is stirred up and shaking. L'chol ha'amim soviv. For all of the nations around it. Jerusalem will be the center where, where, which is shaking everything up. Everyone is directed towards Jerusalem, either for good or for bad. In other words, all of these nations are going to come upon Jerusalem um, in an um, attempt to take it over, to control it. Their desire will be to control it rather than to submit to it, to submit that what Jerusalem represents, which is the authority of God, and the humility that comes along when someone submits himself to God. And in this siege that will be laid upon Jerusalem by many of these countries, now this war against Jerusalem of the future has, is, has, has been predicted by most all of the prophets. Clearly, Ezekiel had the war of Gog and Magog, which is probably the most famous, but we had this idea expressed in Isaiah, we had this idea expressed in many other places. So Zechariah is simply um, putting his take on the same theme, the same idea that the peoples of the world, at least many of the peoples of the world that refuse to humble themselves will camp against Jerusalem. And even upon Yehuda, there will be those that are in this attack or in this siege that will be laid against Jerusalem. Now there's three ways to understand this. Most of the traditional commentaries understand that as these nations come and pass through Judah, the land of Judah, on their way to the capital, they will take captives from the cities in Judah and force them to fight in the fight against their own capital. That's one way of understanding it, that there will even be Judeans being used in that fight. We know that the Romans definitely enslaved (coughs) Jews and enlisted them to fight their brethren who were still fighting with this tactic um, is, is unfortunate and, and, and extremely uh, uh, difficult for the people involved. But, um, so that's one way of understanding this. So, so that they're saying that they're going to use this tactic. Another way of understanding this, though, is saying that maybe some people of Judah will actually join the attack, maybe willingly join the attack on Jerusalem. It's definitely possible that some people will think that these armies of the world are so much more powerful and strong we should be fighting with them and not fighting with our brethren that are holding out in Jerusalem. And a third way of understanding it is that maybe um, what this means is that Gam al-Yehuda, not only will they be laying siege against Jerusalem, but this attack will also be against the other towns in Yehuda. So this would not have Judeans fighting along with the enemies, either willingly or unwillingly, but rather it has all of Judah being uh, subjects of this attack. This third shot, this third explanation that I'm using is not generally found in the traditional commentaries, but it does later on seem to fit a little better with some of the verses we're about to read. But all three um, things that I mentioned are possible ways of interpreting this verse. Uh, 
So let's go to verse 3. It will be on that day, that day in the future when all of this is happening. God's presence is in Jerusalem and the nations of the world are attacking it. The nations of the world don't like this. So I'm going to make Jerusalem. Before God said, I'm going to make Jerusalem a safra'al, a, a boiling or a, a reeling bowl. But I'm also going to make it an even ma'amosa, a stone which needs to be lifted. This immediately, for all the nations, it will be a stone, it will be a burden that the entire world just wants to get rid of. The world wants to just lift up Jerusalem. It's a giant worldwide headache. Um, it's impossible not to imagine uh, our time today and many times in the world where Jerusalem was just this gigantic headache. The status of Jerusalem is one of those things that everyone in the world needs to solve, but no one has a good solution for. Um, but this stone also brings back the image, the famous image that we know from Genesis 29, verse 10, where Jacob encountered um, the stone that was on top of the well, and, and Rachel and the other women wanted to needed help to remove the stone, that this Evan, that stone, that Jacob as um, was able to move, at, you know, and, and but but everyone else, the entire world was trying to remove that stone, remove that obstacle between the women that needed it and the water that they needed. This this Jerusalem, it becomes this obstacle between the people and God, and only only what we're about to read will actually remove that obstacle and bring people closer to God. Call Omseha Soroi Soretu, all of. The, those that are trying to lift her will um, will get cut up and injured and, and hurt because they're trying desperately to to remove Jerusalem as an obstacle, so to speak. And all of the nations of the world are going to gather against Jerusalem because it's so difficult to conquer. It's so difficult to get rid of this giant obstacle, but they're going to get hurt while they try. By Homahu on that day, Noam Adonai says, God, when the entire world is trying to remove Jerusalem, I am going to cause every horse to be um, struck with, with uh, uh, craziness. The horses will go crazy. In other words, rather than fight them with, with bigger and stronger horses and tanks and might, I'm just going to cause their entire system to go haywire. The horses will go bonkers. They'll get some kind of illness and go crazy. And the riders, they're also going to go crazy. They're going to go nuts. They're just going to lose their ability to fight. And on the house of Yehuda, and this is referring to all of the house of Yehuda, regardless of which shot, which explanation we learned in verse 2, either the people that, that the people living in Jerusalem, of course, it includes, but it also includes those that are fighting with the enemy, whether they're fighting willingly or not, or it could mean all of the other cities besides Jerusalem. But since they are part of Judah, I will open my eyes, I will pay attention to them. While all of the horses, which represents, as we've seen repeatedly in Zechariah, the horses represents the war and might and power of Amim of the nations, I will strike them with blindness. And those tribes of Yehuda will say in their heart, these tribes are one of those three possibilities, either the tribes fighting against their will with the enemy, or the tribes of Judah fighting willingly alongside the enemy, or the tribes of Judah that are outside Jerusalem, 
also fighting against the enemy. But those tribes will say, "Am soli Yerushalayim." Those residents of Jerusalem have been a strength for me. They have been a strength for me because because they have been faithful to the Lord God, their God. They will learn um, those others that are not in Jerusalem, that are not as close to God. Being in Jerusalem represents those that are close to the temple, those that are closer to God. These other members of Judah will see, oh, we'll see that they have been a strength for us. Those that have been close to God have been a strength for us. And therefore, we should join them and not stay with the enemy. Bayomahu at that time, God says in verse 6, I will make all of the tribes of Judah, all of them, they will be like a, um, like a, uh, a vessel of fire as it touches wood, which the wood gets burned really quickly. And it's like a flame, uh, like a flaming torch. Ba'amir in a pile of, of dry uh, stalks of grain. So these are things that burn quickly. Yehuda will just touch them and the enemy will just be destroyed. Ba'achlu al-yaminus al-small and they will destroy their enemies to the right and to the left. Eskolo amim so'aviv, all of the nations that are surrounding Jerusalem and laying siege. V'yashvay Yerushalayim o'tachtab Yerushalayim. And then Jerusalem shall rest and remain <coughs> in her place right there in Jerusalem. The entire siege will just disappear and dissipate. It will be completely lifted and gone as um, the enemy will be destroyed. And God will first rescue not the kings, not Jerusalem, the capital itself, but those tribes that were outside. Now we understand and learn what the emphasis was. Why did we care so much about these tribes of Judah that were outside, either ones fighting with the enemy whether willingly or not, or whether we're talking about the other tribes that were fighting against the enemy, but they were scattered in the fields, scattered in the small towns, in the hills, in the hills of Judea. God will save them first. Why? So that the glory of the house of David, the king, the house of the king who resides in Jerusalem himself, won't think too much of himself, won't be so haughty. And I would like you to think back to a moment to the events that occurred that were recounted in the book of Isaiah and, and the king Hezekiah, the king Chizkiyahu. If we remember, the country of Assyria had come and destroyed all of the, land, all of the towns, uh, the strong towns of Judah, and finally laid siege against the capital. Laid siege against the capital, and eventually uh, God chose to save the capital, Jerusalem, and leave King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah in place by a miracle which decimated the, um, the Assyrian army and the Assyrian army had to retreat and leave saving Jerusalem for the future and Hezekiah at that time became arrogant the first thing he did was that King Hezekiah showed off his wealth and his riches to other countries almost taking credit for himself for his own arrogance and if we recall when we studied this together Isaiah was so disappointed at the how the king reacted. So when the the field the the the, the Alufeyuda the tribes fighting out there are decimated, but the king holds strong. There's two things that one can imagine. One can think, well, this means that I, the king, and my capital are strong and mighty, and therefore we will never be conquered. Which unfortunately was the conclusion that Chizkiyahu made. Or one can come to the conclusion that 
God is preserving his kingdom and one can be humble. But what God says, I'm not making that mistake over here, Zechariah says. In the future, it's going to be the little tribes, the guys out there. Not, it's not going to be the capital city that holds up and wins. It's going to be the small towns, the small tribes, the tribes that were taken against their will to fight for the enemy. They're going to turn on the enemy and they're going to be the ones that create the victory. So that... So that the house of David shouldn't be so haughty and think that they were the great ones that won this battle. We don't want that the residents of Jerusalem should think that they're any better than the ones that are outside. Think today about how often we see this, how the people that live in the big communities where, every, where they have everything they want, everything they need, we're the strong, we're the big, we're the mighty, we're the powerful, but the people that are out there struggling, struggling to maintain their religion, struggling to maintain their Judaism in, in places where they're out there, they're, they fight the fight every day, whether it's a fight of maintaining religion, maintaining connection, maintaining learning, maintaining brotherhood amongst the other Jews that are out where the people are, those people... God is, is, Zechariah is talking about them. He's saying the victory will come not from the great big cities with the large communities and the hundreds of synagogues and so on. The victory is, that's not where it comes from. The victory comes because that leads to haughtiness. The victory comes from those few people that are scattered out there. The few people that have to fight the fight when they're not in the capital. Those that retain their connection to God when they're out there, that's where the victory comes from. And that's why it's so important because of this idea of humility. On that day, once the people that then live in Jerusalem understand that humility, that's when God will then protect Jerusalem. And then, even the weakest among them, even the smallest among them, will be Kidavid, will be proud and strong as if they themselves were the king's family. And then the house of David will then be like a god. This does not mean like a, a, a god, of course, a god with powers. Kelohim means, <coughs> means also means, means a court. They will be the ones that, that lead in a way of justice, in a way of kindness, in a way of empathy for their people. Right? They will, they will lead as if they were an angel of God before the people. When all of the people see that the strength comes from them, not the house of David, then the house of David will lead in a godly way, in a beautiful way, in a fair way, in an empathetic way. And it will be on that day, as we see the destruction is coming. It will be my desire... <coughs> I will then begin and attempt to and, and and begin to destroy all of those nations that attacked Jerusalem. Now it's time, and I saved Jerusalem. Now it's time for the ones that attacked, the ones that refused to be humble. I am going to destroy them. But instead of this incredible destruction happening <laughs> and mass death, <clears throat> it's not exactly what's going to happen. Because of Vishafakti, this is verse 10, Al Bais David, I will pour into the house of David, Vial Yoshlaim, and all of those that are the residents of Jerusalem, not a spirit of vengeance, <laughs> not going to give them the strength and the power of mighty horses to attack and destroy the enemy, but I'm going to give them Ruachin Vitachanunim, a spirit of grace 
Chen is grace. Chen is what someone has when he's beloved by other people, when other people look at him and say, I love you, I, I enjoy you, I want you to be with me, I want to learn from you, I want to be like you. That's Ruachin. Vitachanunim means prayer, means mercy on others. The people are going to feel the desire and the need not to destroy the others, but to pray for them. And all of those people that have been stabbed and killed, this refers to both the enemies and, I know there's various ways to read this, but just reading the language itself, they, meaning all of those in this battle that have been Dakaru, that have been pierced by the sword, that have been injured, that have been hurt by this war, that means both the people of, the, of Judea, both the Jews that have been hurt in battle, because even on the victorious side, there will be injured. But even those on the enemy side that have been injured and hurt, he be too a lie. They are all going to look to me for mercy. But I am going to place in the Beit David and the house of David and the people of Jerusalem a spirit of mercy, a spirit of prayer, and a love, and they are going to be so fade, they are going to wail and cry over him. This is a very odd word. It's Safdu and they will be so fade, they will be wailing a love on him. Now what does it mean on him? It's Alehem. The people that have been pierced, there's thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, of, tens of thousands of people that have been hurt and harmed in this huge battle. So what does it mean, Safdu Allah? The verse continues and explains us what does it mean on him. When they cry, they're not going to cry over tens of thousands of casualties and look up the casualty numbers. But they're going to cry over each and every one who is an individual. It's so important. I know we talk about this when we think about mass numbers. Six million people killed in the Holocaust. You get lost in these massive numbers. <laughs> but when you're minded to yourself, then each and every one was a human being with a story, with a life, with people who loved him, who loved her, people that she loved, that he loved, people and, and aspirations and dreams <laughs> that were never fulfilled. Each and every one, they will cry. This is what the people of Jerusalem are going to do. They're not going to wage war and smash their enemies, but they're going to have a ruachin v'tachanunim, and they're going to pray for them, and they're going to cry for them. All of them, v'hamer love, and they will be bitter over him, over each one individual, k'hamer al-bukhar, as if they had the same kind of bitterness that one has when their firstborn child passes away. Bayomahu, it is on that day when the ruachin v'tachanunim spreads across the people of Jerusalem, Yigdal HaMisbeid B'Yerushalayim, then the wailing and the crying will be tremendously great over the entire Jerusalem. Kemispad Hadad Rimon B'Vikat Megidon. Similar to the crying that occurred of, of the Hadad Rimon story and the one that occurred in Bikat Megidon, I'm going to go with Rashi's explanation. Hadad Rimon was the one who killed Ahav Ahab, the king in northern Israel, and the people uh, had a tremendous... Um, uh, um, uh, wailing and crying and has paid him for Ahav and Bekat Megidon is, the, is where uh, the king Josiah, the king Yoshiyahu uh, was killed in battle in the famous Vayikonein Yirmiyahu al Yoshiyahu where we know that Jeremiah uh, uh, um, eulogized and cried over the loss of Josiah. So these were both times when we cried over a specific individual or a specific leader who the people who was dear at least Ahab was at least dear to his people on a certain level even though he was an evil man and Yoshiyahu was dear to God dear to his people so 
this crying, each and every one of the dead from this massive battle, the people will cry over them as individuals. And then it says, families, each family will cry on their own together. So it's emphasizing how is it that when one has a, 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 a cries over an individual, how does it happen? that you cry over an individual and realize that they're a person when the families recognize who they lost. Families know and understand. This was, he wasn't just casualty number 604. He was our cousin. He was our friend. He was uh, he, this, the woman that passed away from all kinds of suffering that, was, that went through the terrible suffering. She's not just you know, our mother. She's, not just, uh, she's, not just, she's our mother. She's not just a random number 703. This mishpachos, mishpachos levad, mishpachas based tovid. The even the the wealthy king's families, the the the, the house of David alone, unesheim levad, and their women crying alone because the the attachments of families, especially in those days, women had their relationships, men had their relationships, um, all crying in a unique, special way. Mishpachas based nason levad, the house of Nathan. These are all families that were prominent families in the days, and their wives alone. Mishmachas based Levi Levad, the house of the Levites alone. And their wives Levad alone. Mishmachas based Hashimi Levad, the family of Shimi Nishem Levad. Listing families so that you should know that we're talking about individual families, each and every family crying over its own. Kol all of the remaining families that are still around at this, at this time. Mishpachos, mishpachos, levad. Again, saying families, families together, and Hashem levad, and their women all together, each one mourning their losses in their own personal way. This is ruachim v'tachanunim, the kind of ruachim v'tachanunim which recognizes that wars are not counted in how many millions or how many thousands of people died in battle and just chalking it up on a list. But battles and the result of battles is many, many, many individuals lost, people, human beings, each one with a story, each one with something that was cut off too early, each one with a loss, especially to their families, but to all of us who have lost the potential for what that person could have and should have had the opportunity to contribute to our world. This is the end of chapter 12. Thank you so much for studying chapter 12 with me. Looking forward to studying chapter 13 and 14 and this entire wonderful book of Zechariah together.